Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and open together to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. I turn my microphone on or off. I can never remember what I do. I put it on, I thought, I don't think I turned it on. I'll just turn it off. There we go. Can you hear me now? All right. Matthew chapter 2. You know, as we come to the Bible this morning, you know, it's December. It's a magical, se- mag- magical time of the year, right, uh, for many. Um. I remember as a child, you know, we enter Christmas season, and, you know, my prayer, just going to kind of shoot you straight this morning, uh, my prayer is that I don't get distracted by all the things that, that uh, have become popular with Christmas. You know, Christmas, it's not about Santa Claus, it's not about uh, the reindeer, it's not about, uh, it's not about shopping, it's not about your Christmas ham. Do you guys eat a Christmas ham? How many of you get to eat a Christmas ham? All right, just making sure. How many of you eat a cured ham on Christmas? How many of you know what a cured ham is, a sugar-cured ham? Oh, man, you're missing out. You need to go buy a sugar-cured ham and have that for Christmas this year. But uh, it's not about the traditions that you have, not as a family. Uh, It's not about anything other than Jesus Christ. The world has commercialized it. You know, it's, it's now another Hallmark holiday. As a matter of fact, you can turn on the Hallmark channel. Ladies, man, I hope this isn't you. Uh, and watch Christmas movies from now till kingdom come. But it's not about any of those things, is it? You know, and, and I'm not, you know, there's, there are things that we can enjoy in the holiday season, you know, we, we enjoy, how many of you have Christmas memories, ple- no, pleasant Christmas memories? But doesn't this time of year, sometimes it amplifies things, doesn't it? Uh, it amplifies needs, it amplifies emotion, uh, it amplifies issues. Uh, but I want to encourage you, just on this very first Sunday of December, to not think about any of those things, but to merely think about Jesus Christ. You know, Cheyenne just sang a song, Emmanuel, a promise kept, a promise made, a promise kept. Uh, when was the promise made? You know, the Bible's full of promises, but when did the Lord make the promise that He would, in fact, send a Redeemer? I want you to look back with me, holding your place here in Matthew why don't you look with me at Genesis chapter number 3. Kind of give you a brief history lesson this morning. You know, the, the Lord is always at work. Even in the, in the darkest times of life, even when things go awry or, or don't seem to necessarily go as planned, God is at work. Of course, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 highlight the creation of God. God created the world, everything we see, everything we know, in six literal days. Right. From nothing. Right. Amen. They didn't evolve. Uh, there was no day age. There's no gap. There's no death recorded prior to Genesis chapter 3. Therefore, there could be no sin 
So we, we, look at, we look at time at the timelines of Scripture. You know, there, there can be no evolution, there can be no, no day age, there can be no gap, because that would allow for death prior to the fall of man. And there's no death prior to the fall of man. But in Genesis chapter 3, we find that Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he beguiles Eve and Adam, and, and they eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, the Bible, that we call that sin, the Bible calls that sin, they transgressed the command, the clear command of God. And sin has consequences. And I'm thankful that in spite of my sin, in spite of the consequences of sin, that God provides a means of escape. That God provides redemption. And in Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 15, we find the first promise of God concerning the coming Redeemer. Concerning Christ, the Messiah. Though they did not know what Jesus would look like, though they did not know what type of death at this time He would die, and the Bible later on tells us that He would die, cursed is a man that dies on a tree. There are things that, that the Word of God clearly expresses that, that, that reveal that Christ is, in fact, the Messiah, but here God makes the promise that He was going to send the Redeemer. And the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 15, He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And I may I tell you, even in society today, many things we see is, is Satan's attack on the seed of the woman to destroy the image of God. Uh, but if, if he could destroy the image of God, he could destroy the coming Redeemer. And there's a whole theological argument here uh, for the coming chapters. But he goes on and he makes a statement here. At the end of verse number six, of the, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 15, it says, It, speaking of the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know, he said, you know what? Satan's he's going to nip at his heel. The Redeemer is going to stomp on his head. How many of you like, say, like snakes? Anybody in here? I remember my, my father is deathly afraid of, of snakes. I remember one day we were out on the golf course, because that's where all godly things happen, on a golf course. And I remember we're, we're walking nine holes of golf, and uh, we're up in an in a itty-bitty town called Carson City, Michigan. And we're, we're, we're playing golf and having a good time. And, you know, I'm, I'm carrying my clubs. My dad's carrying his clubs. And a friend of ours is with us. And we're, we're, we're coming up to this, to this creek. And uh, there's some, some tall grass. There's some, some uh, deep rough there uh, by, this, by the edge of this, this creek, this brook. And we look over, and our friend, he reaches down, and we thought he was going to pick up a golf ball. But he picked up this big black snake and tossed it at us. And uh, we should like, what in the world is going on, you know? That's what good friends do. They throw black snakes at their friends. Uh, life lessons. Don't golf with friends like that. Don't have friends like that. But, uh, you know... We're thankful for the victory that Christ has provided in the person of Jesus Christ. His, his redemption, uh, his, his death on the cross, His resurrection from the grave. We see that promise made all the way back 
in Genesis chapter 3. If we were to look through the pages of the Old Testament, we would find, I want you to look back just maybe two pages in your Bible, two pages, the end of Malachi. Malachi chapter number 4. You see, sin brought dreadful consequences. Sin brought death, physical death. Sin brought a spiritual death. No longer was Adam able to commune with God as he had before sin entered into the world, before he had fallen in sin. Sin one day will bring eternal death if we do not accept Christ as our Savior. But we find here throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, we, we see a lot of sin taking place. God, in spite of man's sin, he, he calls Abraham, establishes the nation of Israel, um, and he gives them the law of God, he gives them the commandments and the ordinances. But we understand, we, we've read the Bible, we see how they have fallen in sin, and, and how they just become worse and worse and worse. God deports them from the promised land, allows them to go into captivity. He brings them back and uh, into the promised land as He promised He would after 70 years. He allows them to return. And they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But there was still a problem. Do you know where we're left at the end of the Old Testament? What is the last word of Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6? A curse. We're still left under the curse. And for 400 years, there is no prophecy. There's no prophet, there's no word from the Lord. There's Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. And then it happens. Christ comes. And we consider all the the trappings of this time of year, but don't forget that God kept His word at Christmas time. That God was faithful. Though we we were under the curse, and we still are because of sin, one day we'll be redeemed. Uh, Our redemption will be complete, I should say. We'll stand before the Lord, we'll become like Him, for we'll see Him as He is. Death will be swallowed up in victory. We're thankful for all these promises of God. But what is our response to these things? This morning as we come to Matthew chapter 2, I invite you to stand with me. We're going to read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter number 2. Now, We come after the nativity. Uh, It's my conviction that the wise men did not find Jesus in in the manger. I believe it was a couple of years, and we can see that based upon uh, even Herod's question of when, when the wise men saw the star for the first time, and how he sought to exterminate the children uh, of a certain age and under, So we know that Christ is no longer an infant when we come to Matthew chapter 2. But there's there's some powerful Christian life principles here 
that I trust will encourage your hearts today. Look what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." And Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently that uh, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when he had found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense, and myrrh. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning, and Lord, our prayer is that you'd help us today to see what our response should be to Christ. Lord, we pray that you'd help us take some some lessons from these wise men and apply them to our lives. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us today. Lord, help us. Lord, help this message. May it be what you desire for it to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 1. The Word of God tells us there at the end of the verse, there came wise men from the east. To Jerusalem. Wise men. What does it mean to be wise? As I think of the Word of God, my mind goes to Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived. Now, I believe there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. I believe that, uh, that wisdom comes from the Lord. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I believe that wisdom comes from the Word of God. I believe that wisdom is is the proper application of knowledge and understanding. But I believe all wisdom comes from the Lord. I don't want to live my life foolishly. Now, we we can look around society today, and, and man, there's a lot of foolish people in the world, isn't there? There's a lot of foolish things taking place in the world. There's a lot of foolish things taking place that are lauded and promoted as wisdom and truth. 
but it couldn't be farthest from it. But as I consider my life, I don't want to live my life foolishly. I want to live my life with great wisdom. I want the Lord to rule my life. I want my decisions to be based upon the truth of God's word. I want my actions uh, to be a reflection of what my belief is. And as we come to the word of God this morning, we note here that God includes three wise men. Will you be a wise person this morning? There's been an adage, it's been... I've seen it for years now. It says, wise men still seek the Lord. But will you today be determined in your heart to live wisely? And as we look here in Matthew chapter 2, we we see three attributes of these men that I believe we can take for ourselves and by God's grace can grow in and help us respond properly to the Lord. See, they, they came from a great distance. I just a few weeks ago, I, I was able to walk the streets of Bethlehem. I was able to, to visit the place where, where uh, it's believed that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night, where, where the, the angels, the host of heaven, <laughs> abruptly came and declared the birth of Christ. I, I, I can go in there and, and go vi- you can visit the cave where, where Christ is believed to have been laid. Some will worship the place. But those who are wise will worship the Lord. We think of all that all that people do today, it's, it's terrible. I mean, uh, I mean, I love the Holy Land. I'm Lord willing to be able to take some of you to the Holy Land next, next January. But so much of what goes on in the Holy Land, people, they take these pilgrimages to, to the Holy Land and they visit, they visit these sites and what they're doing, they're worshiping the place and not the person of the place. Not, they're not worshiping the God of the place, and they go and, and they kiss these, these icons and these images, and they expect to get some type of unction from God or something. I don't know. It's, it's just foolishness. But may I tell you that, that you and I, in our lives, we can do what these wise men did. They went to great lengths to come and, and to see Christ, the King of Israel, the King of Jews, our King today. And even in in chapter number uh, 2 and verse number 11, we see the byproduct of what it brought them to. And this is what you and I, this is where we need to be brought today. What made these men so wise? Was it the, the great pomp and circumstance they traveled with? This great caravan, this envoy, this uh, of of uh, of majesty and, and wealth? Was it their, this, the, the great wisdom and being able to discern the skies and the seasons and the times? Is that what made them wise? I believe the ultimate expression of their wisdom is found in verse 
number 11. The Bible says in verse 11, it says, they fell down and worshipped him. Can you imagine these men of great wealth, of great station in life, of great understanding, traveling thousands of miles, years to come to Israel and worship their king. What an investment of time. What a great investment of resources. But can you imagine as Joseph and Mary, as they sat there in that place, as Mary held the child, the the young boy, Jesus, as these men came in with all all of their splendor and all of their circumstance, can you imagine what's going through their mind? But they bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I want you to hold your place here and turn to Philippians, if you would, please. Philippians chapter number 2. And consider the humility of Christ. I may I tell you that Christ was not merely humiliated on the cross. He humbled himself when he, became, when he took on human form. When he became man, he humbled himself. The Bible says this in verse number 5 of Philippians 2. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice in verse number 9. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. May I tell you, even as a baby even as a child, even as a young man. But the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here we have these men who, part of the things in earth, who came in... who entered that house and asked, what's his name? What's his name? Mary's response, Jesus. Which is the the Greek equivalent of the name Joshua. The Hebrew name Yeshua. Which means Jehovah is salvation. And they bowed and worshipped him. I've seen a lot of babies. Held a lot of babies. Haven't kissed a lot of them, just my own. 
I can't imagine worshiping a baby. But none of the babies I've held, none of the babies I have seen, the Christ child. But these men wisely understood. And they bowed their knees, bowed their heads and worshipped. Will you be a worshiping Christian today? I'm going to share with you three simple lessons we see from these wise men that I pray will help us. Look back in Matthew, Matthew chapter number 2. We see the first lesson is found in what they sought. Why don't you write that down, what they sought. Let me ask you a question. After what are you seeking today? What are you looking for? I believe the holiday seasons, not just Christmas, but Thanksgiving and, and other special occasions, oftentimes amplify uh, the emptiness of the human heart. Sometimes we're prone to focus on what we do not have, what we do not know, what we cannot enjoy, rather than what we do have, what we do know what we can enjoy. And the Bible teaches us here that these men, they came in search of something. Christians, if you and I will be wise, we must be searching after something. Now, I know the Bible says that there's none that seeketh after God. That's why it's important that you and I, that we go and we tell other people about Jesus Christ because they're not going to seek the Lord unless someone tells them of the Lord, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. However, in the heart of every man, there's a desire for something, isn't there? In your Christian life, if, if you are discontent in your Christian life, if you're dissatisfied in your Christian life, I'm going to pose something to you this morning. It could be the fact that you're not seeking the Lord like you should. Because everything you and I have, all that we need comes from Jesus Christ. He said that he came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. And so if I'm discontented in my Christian life, if I'm not satisfied in my Christian life, it's because I'm seeking the wrong things. These wise men, look what the Bible says in verse number 1. It says, Now, when Jesus, came, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, notice what they said, what reveals what they sought. Okay, He says, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. What are you seeking? These men sought the means to worship the Savior. Do you seek the same means in your life? Are you looking for opportunities to worship God? When is the last time you personally worship the Lord? And this morning doesn't count as the answer. May I tell you, coming to church and singing songs does not make you a true worshiper of God. 
In order to be a true worshiper of God, you must personally know Christ as your Savior. I want you to look what the Bible says back in, in John, in the Gospel according to John, in chapter number 4. Here we find the qualifications of worship. And Jesus, he's speaking there with the woman at the well, and uh, they're sitting down there, and she's given a great history of the well that, that Jacob was there and he drank from the well and all of his livestock. Like that gives me any uh, more joy that his cows drank from the well, whatever. But Jesus, he goes on and, and she says in verse number 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now I, I was able to stand in, the, in Dan, the northernmost city of Israel. And it was in Dan that one of the golden calves that, that Jeroboam had, uh, had made, was, that it was placed there, and he caused the children of Israel to sin, to not go to Jerusalem and worship God, but to be rooted in paganism and idolatry. He placed another one in Bethel, not far from where this took place. The southern portion of of the land of is of the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus makes the statement here, and we must not lose or miss the words of Christ. He looks at her, and in verse number 21, Jesus saith, saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know, uh, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. He says in verse 23, But the hour cometh and now is. There's a change here. The hour cometh and now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If we will worship God today, it's not in some song. And it's good to sing, the good, to, to sing good songs, right songs, doctrinally sound songs. Songs that do not emulate or seek to replicate the styles of the world. But may I tell you, there, there has to be a transformation in our own hearts in order for us to be true worshipers of God. These men, they came, they worshiped the Lord. But if you and I will be true worshipers of God, we first must know Him as our Savior. You and I, we cannot truly worship God apart from a relationship with Him. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're seeking many things, that you're just discontented, yet your heart has grown weary, that the life has just not treated you as you believe it should, and you've just grown tired and weary, I may mean, I tell you, you just need to worship the Lord. You need to become a worshiper of Jesus Christ, a true worshiper, not one that, that says they're a worshiper, but one who truly can worship. You must know Christ as your Savior, and then you must live consciously in His presence each day. As a child of God, when is the last time you truly worshiped the Lord. 
I'm fearful that many of us don't know what, even, know what wor- true worship is. You know what the world says worship is? The, true, the world says that worship is us painting the ceiling in here black, getting rid of all the lighting, getting some smoke machines, uh, a drummer, a guitar player, and a big group of people who think they can sing, and rocking it out for Jesus. That's not worship. You can't worship yourself and worship the Lord. Let me tell you, it has to be about Jesus Christ. And in our daily lives, we must, make, we must come to the end of ourselves and realize that it's not about us. It's not about what I prefer. It's not about what I want. It's about who Christ is, about what he deserves, and how I can best give it to him. What are you seeking this morning? These men were wise because of what they sought. Notice the second truth. We consider what they thought. What they thought initially was not correct. Why was what they thought initially incorrect? Because where did, the Bible says, look, look here, and it says uh, they came to Jerusalem. It says there, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Where should a king be born? In a palace, is what we would imagine. And so these men, what they thought, they did according to what they thought. They came, they went to Jerusalem to look for the king. Christian, what do you think? Or how? Do you think? Perhaps would be the better question to ask. How do you think? What made these men wise was not the fact that they initially believed that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. What made them wise was the fact that they allowed the word of God to change the way they thought. Look how the story unfolds. The Bible says in verse 2, or sorry, verse 3 says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. How would the scribes, how would the religious leaders of the people know where Christ was to be born? From the word of God. It says, and they go on, it says, and, and it says, and they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. What prophet? I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. Why don't you turn with me to Micah chapter number 5, please. Holding your place here in Matthew chapter 2. Turn to Micah chapter number 5. In verse 2, the Bible says, here he says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 
clearly, explicitly states where Christ would be born. Let me make a statement. I want you to write this down. It doesn't matter where you begin. It matters where you end. It doesn't matter where you begin. It matters where you end. These men, they came from from the east. They traveled thousands of miles. And you know what? They ended up at the wrong place. Their search for the Messiah began in Jerusalem. But it did not end in Jerusalem. It ended in Bethlehem. Why? Because they, they allowed how they thought to be transformed. I want you to hold your place in Matthew chapter 2 and look with me, if you would, in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, again, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, the Bible says, as Paul writes, this again is the, the culmination of this particular book. This is the application of everything that had been mentioned prior. This is the the pinnacle, the zenith of the book of Romans. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christians, they became wise not because they ended up in not because they came to Jerusalem, but because they ended up in Bethlehem. If you want to be a wise person, the world by wisdom knows not God. But this book is wisdom. This book is the words of the wise God. And you and I would do well, we take heed thereunto it. But we're pressured. We're pressured to think like the world thinks. We're pressured to worship like the world worships. But I would rather be a lover of truth than a lover of this world. I want you to look and see what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2. See, the world is seeking to rob you of peace. The world is seeking to rob you of contentment. Seeking to rob you of knowing and enjoying God's blessing and best for your life. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes and he makes a statement concerning the ploys of the world. He warns us here. Saying in verse 8 of Colossians 2, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy 
and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. What does the Word of God do? The, world, the Word of God reshapes our worldview. I want to be biblically minded. To be biblically minded is to be heavenly minded. It's to, it's to gain the mind of God, to, to see and be able to discern truth and error, just like we saw in our Sunday school hour today. May God help us with our thinking. But notice finally this morning, as we look back in Matthew chapter 2, we see that these wise men were wise not because of what they, not only because of what they sought, because of what they thought, but because of what they brought. What did they bring? Look what the Bible says in verse number 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Every one of these gifts, each of these three gifts, was not by accident. God providentially worked in the hearts of these men to where they were willing to bring the gold and the, the frankincense and the myrrh. They came looking for a king. What, what gift would be better than gold than to, to give to a king? It's a kingly gift, gold. Frankincense was a, is a gift for God. It's a gift of worship. It's a beautiful fragrance. Jesus is the Christ child. He is God. There's no greater gift to give God than that of frankincense then there was the final gift the gift of myrrh to go to Israel and stand in the place I believe it is the place where Christ not only died but where he was buried and to think about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And these men who went and, and begged Pilate for Christ's body. And and the value of the spices and of the myrrh they brought to embalm Jesus' body after he was crucified to prepare him for burial, to go into the empty tomb and, and see the place where they would have prepared his body and to stand in that chamber and to look, look across the way in the room where Christ's body was laid. 
This gift of myrrh was a gift of burial. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Jesus is prophet, He's priest, He's king. He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. He's the only Redeemer of the world. And what these men brought were gifts fitting for God, for a King, and for a Redeemer. But from us, I don't believe God wants gold or frankincense or even myrrh. These wise men were wise because they gave what they knew God would have them give. What would God have you give? What will you bring Jesus? If I've said it before, I've said it a thousand times. God is not interested in your wallet. God is interested in you. The most fitting thing you and I can give God is something we give Him every day. We worship Him every day. At least we ought to worship Him every day. We give him ourselves. Look back as we close this morning to Romans chapter 12. In verse 1. You know... I'm thankful that the Lord isn't, before we read this verse, just understand that God is not asking anything unreasonable. He's not asking too much. But the Bible says in verse 1, Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice how he describes it. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The wisest decision you can make today is to once again, afresh and anew, Give yourself to the Lord. It's your reasonable service. The wisest among us will make that decision today. Christians, this morning, will you be a wise man?
or woman. With what you seek. With what you think. And with what you bring. He's worthy, isn't he? May God help us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's all stand to our feet this morning in just a moment.